DiscerningHearts.com presents Communion with Christ, Practical Prayer with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is a professor of spiritual theology at Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He has formerly served as the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation. He is the author of numerous books, including Heart of the Diaconate, Remain in Me, Spousal Prayer, and Listening for Truth. He has given more than 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality and regularly conducts retreats. Communion with Christ, Practical Prayer with Deacon James Keating. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Deacon Keating. Thank you. Deacon Keating, could you talk just a little more about how we receive prayer? This concept can be new to some people because, again, I think a lot of times we frame prayer as a um, an activity of ours. Of course, there's a mutually interpenetrating relationship that's occurring in prayer. But if we could take a step back in our prayer and be in the presence of God in calmness, I think we'll begin to understand that prayer is more about reception than our initiation. Again, the mystics themselves have always talked about this. Whenever you desire prayer, it's already God's initiation. The desire is God's initiation. To even want to pray means you're already in touch with God, which is such a beautiful concept. Mm -hmm. That if you're struggling at home and you're working hard and you're very busy and you say, Oh Lord, I want to pray. Know that you are already praying. The desire is already God's gift to you. Now, he wants to give you more than the desire. He wants to give you the fullness of who he is. But we can take some consolation in the fact that even wanting to pray is God moving in you. Now, the receptivity, which is prayer, can occur in this way. You're in a particular uh, moment of your day, and all of a sudden your mind is heightened in consciousness, that God is with you. You don't just uh, go through your normal routine. At this moment, your normal routine has been interrupted by a presence. You know it's a presence. You pause to receive this presence. And it could be triggered by many things. You could be looking at one of your children and receive the fullness of your child's presence in an almost iconic way, gratefully, you receive this presence in your consciousness. Your baby is sitting on the floor. You're watching him or her. And you receive the fullness of the presence of this child, the gift that this child is to you as father, as mother. But along with this reception of the baby comes a reception of the one who is creator of all living things. Simultaneously, with your mind being heightened to see your child in a way you've never seen him before, comes God. God comes along with this heightened consciousness because he's the one who heightened the consciousness to begin with. And so now you find yourself not only receiving your baby and, and your heart gratefully receiving, but simultaneously you're receiving God. And you find you're not just gazing at your child and saying, what a beautiful child. You now find you're gazing at your child and saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Be with me now, Lord. 
How can I ever repay you, Lord, for this gift? And your language is shifted to a deep communion with God. And this experience could last five seconds, ten seconds, and then it's gone. And then you're back to you sitting at the kitchen table with the bills in front of you, and they become bills again, and your child simply becomes a child again on the floor, and you go on. But you remember this heightened consciousness. And if someone were to ever say to you, have you ever experienced God? You say yes, with great conviction, because you had this experience for five or ten seconds. Of course, for some people in the church, this could last an hour. It all depends on God's grace. Also, we have to be careful not to prematurely end these visitations from God. You'd never want to prematurely cut off these affections because maybe God intends for you to sit with him for five minutes and not five seconds. Always be very conscious when this heightened consciousness appears to you to not prematurely cut off these affections as they're flowing into your heart from the Spirit. Because he wants to give you more when they end naturally, when they dissipate, when the energy begins to become low, then leave the prayer. But to the best of our ability, try not to artificially cut them off, because you have no idea how long this reception of grace could happen, could last for you. Now, this reception of grace is not just meant to be a memory, because of the beauty of our human memory, the great gift of memory. We can actually revisit this time at the table, gazing upon our child on the floor, over and over again. And in revisiting this memory, we are also then in the same time as when that prayer happened. Because that prayer is always happening in you. Because God is eternal. And God is the ever-present now. And through the grace of God in our memory, we can revisit our prayer moments that are extra special for us. And we can revisit the affections as well that were stirred in our heart during those times. So when God moves in these ways and they pass, we're not to lament their passing. We're not to regret and say, gee, I wish I had those experiences again. We're to go into the memory and receive again the affections that God wants to pass on to us. That's the great beauty of the memory. And yes, perhaps we could say the intensity would not be the same as the first original experience. But remember that God is always in the now. He is always giving himself presently. It's not You're not visiting the past. Your memory, by way of the imagination, is bringing you to the past. But God is attaching himself to these memories in the present. And so you're always meeting God in the present, even if he's using a memory from a past experience. And so be bold in asking God to come to you. That's why he created the world. He wants to come to us. If you've never had experiences of intimacy with God in prayer, ask, seek, knock, because you're asking for the right thing. You're not asking for the experience. You're asking for him. But of course, when he comes, he cannot help but move our heart. He cannot help but bring along with him affections that stir the human heart and help us adhere to him. You're asking for the right thing. 
You're a child who wants to see his, his father. You're a child who wants to be with his daddy. Ask him. Don't be afraid because you're asking him for what he's dying to give you. You're asking for him and he will do it. He will come to you. So I think this sense of reception is truly the, the golden nugget at the heart of all effective prayer. To ask, to receive, to not artificially stop the affections that come with the intimacy of God. One of the great hindrances that prevents us from realizing that we have indeed had an opportunity to encounter God this way is our own lack of belief that it even occurred. In other words, we doubt, we wonder, we say, could it have been? Did it really happen? And I think that's what 2610 talks about so strongly is that it is so important to have faith in God's response to that prayer. Yes, and this is such a beautiful question. Its beauty lies in, in the fact that it's so common, and yet we don't hardly ever attend to such commonality. When, when Christ comes close, and then when we emerge from that intimacy, there is certainly a movement on Satan's part to downgrade, to put a question, to bother us with doubt. Because he doesn't want you revisiting that pool of grace. He doesn't want you to think it even happened. He doesn't want you to think the spiritual life is real. He wants you to denigrate God's own gift. And he wants you to get back to real life. Those would be his urgings. And our urging is to be against that. There are sometimes when people go on retreat, at the end of the retreat, they'll be saying a fond farewell to their spiritual director or other retreatants, and they'll say things like, well, I hope this lasts. I hope this feeling lasts. They're already nervous that what happened to them is just a feeling. If you think it's just a feeling, then Satan has already won, because feelings dissipate, relationships remain. The feelings are the glue for the relationship. The feelings will come and go. Your conviction that Christ came close to you is not to be sworn simply upon the accompanying intense feelings. But you must believe that he comes to us in human ways. And to have God come to us in intimacy with accompanying intense feelings is just another sign of his great love for us. Don't we see that when feelings are stirred in prayer, it is God coming to us in a human way, in a way that he knows we need. So the feelings themselves are not to be denigrated, but certainly it's not the feelings that we're after. It's the relationship that remains after perhaps the feelings dissipate. That's why all along in prayer, we are attaching ourselves to the relationship. When we're praying, we're not saying, oh, I love you feelings. Oh, thank you for these feelings. When prayer is genuine, out of the feelings we are saying, I love you, Lord. 
Jesus, thank you. Father, be with me. The feelings are carrying us to the relationship. If anyone were to pray in such a bizarre way as thank you feelings and give me more of yourself feelings, it would be mental illness. Don't spurn the feelings when they come. But use the feelings to attach yourself to the relationship. This way Satan can't get in between and somehow lull you into thinking that your prayer was just feelings. No. My prayer was a self-offering, a self-giving to a person. That person remains. My self-offering remains. I'm not afraid that the person will leave. I'm not afraid that I will renege on the self-offering. No, this communion defines me. I'm not afraid to leave the retreat because the retreat is now in me. The relationship is mine. And then Satan dissipates. And Satan runs away because he has met a man or a woman of great humility, a man or woman who knows the truth, and he can't get in between you and God. Do not doubt that your prayer is real. And of course, the greatest evidence that our prayer is real is that because the relationship endures, my love of enemy will deepen. Because the relationship endures, because my spiritual life is not just fleeting feelings, but feelings attaching me to a person, then out of the power of that person, I will be able to will the good of the enemy. This is the greatest proof that you have prayed, that your charity increases and your love of the neighbor becomes your, your paramount moral goal. You. We'll return in just a moment to Communion with Christ, Practical Prayer, with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, 
Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected. Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I. That others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Communion with Christ. Practical Prayer with Deacon James Keating. 2611 in the Catechism says that the prayer of faith consists not only in saying, Lord, Lord, but in disposing the heart to do the will of the Father. Right, and the Lord, Lord, the crying out could be the the wanting, the, the desiring of things or or other realities beyond the relationship. The only one who enters the kingdom of heaven is the one who does the will of the Father. And the only one who does the will of the Father is the one who is attached relationally to the indwelling Spirit of Christ. So none of this progress through holiness, to holiness, none of this progress is, is even possible unless we cry out to the Lord for the relationship and not anything else but In Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. How does that come to fruition through our prayer? Well, again, the sacramental principle that time is no obstacle to God because God is the eternal now. The more we yield to the relationship, the more we give over our hearts to Christ, the more we take on the mind of Christ, the more the kingdom has already come. The kingdom comes the more and more we yield our trust, our self, our time, our dedication, our commitments, our vocations. The more we yield to him, 
the more we clear a space, the more we make space for Christ to come and bring his kingdom, bring his values, bring his will, so that we might be a reflection of those values and that will. So the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God is within us, is just another way of saying that through prayer, heaven begins. Notice also in 26.12, there are two realities there that the authors point to. We are called to conversion, but we're also called to watchfulness, to be attentive to God. And in this day and age, in our own culture, which is simply called a culture of distraction, if there's any accurate description of Western culture, that is it. We are a culture of distraction. I can't imagine any other time in history being a more difficult time to pray than the 21st century. We need to be attentive. We need to be watchful. Because prayer has no place in this culture. Prayer has no place to alight in this culture. This culture does not reverence silence. This culture beholds nothing beautiful, but takes and lusts and is greedy. And so the spirit of prayer cannot alight anywhere. It is very difficult for this generation to pray in this culture of distraction. And so we must be rebellious against the culture and we must set up zones, zones of contemplative privacy. And it ought not be this way. We ought not be the ones who are shutting things out, shutting distractions out. The culture, if it was healthy, would be facilitating our relationship with God. It would be assisting us, but it's too far gone for that. And so now we, as prayers, are on the defensive. We have to watch. We have to be attentive. We have to receive the coming of God when it alights upon us. We have to be eager and ready to be spontaneous prayers, to be spontaneous contemplatives, to raise our heightened consciousness so high that whenever Jesus alights upon us, to give him a moment. Because in this culture, he may get nothing else that day from us. Be watchful. Be attentive. Learn the signs of when Jesus is drawing near to you. And receive it whenever he comes. And then secondly, it talks about the battle that we're in. In 26.12. That prayer, it says very literally in our teachings, prayer is a battle. That this will not be easy. That this is not a receptivity that will come naturally or will come without some fight against the culture of distraction. And so we have to be prepared to suffer the coming of Christ in our prayer. Because of our American identity as popular in popular culture, we will be more naturally prone to enter the culture of distraction by way of the media and by way of just our frenetic activity from event to event to event. And so, in order to end that addiction to activity, 
and to the media, we need to battle against the culture of distraction. And when it is proper and prudent for us to do so, to receive this coming of Christ in our hearts. Now, normally, Christ will not come and be a distraction himself. God is not stupid. God knows that for most of us, it would be imprudent or even dangerous to take us up into hours of mystical ecstasy in the lay lives that we lead. But God will send you love notes. He will send you a rose. He will show up at your door as a surprise visitor. He will embrace you. He will smile. He will heal you. He will encourage you. He will challenge you. And then his tangible affective presence will be gone. But it will be the well out of which you draw your strength for the entire day. And remember, you can go back to the well often in your memory. But in order for us to have that strength and that sustenance and that spiritual hydration, we need to let him come when he wants. Driving your car, sitting at your desk, getting children ready for school. When he comes, he comes. Acknowledge him ever so briefly, ever so delicately. Let him in. Let him become the memory that you draw from throughout the rest of the day. Jesus knows that we live in this terrible culture of distraction. But he too is battling to get our attention. So we need to battle together, Christ and us, so we don't lose the relationship. I love the imagery that you just gave us where God may not call us in the middle of a staff meeting or in the middle of teaching before a bunch of students into hours of mystical contemplation, but he will send you those moments, those glimpses, those small little gifts, just reminding you or touching your hearts of his presence in that it really is a beckoning, a call for us to find the time for him, whether it is in that room by ourselves at night or in that chapel before the Blessed Sacrament, to try to come to that beckoning. This is the whole point of the life of interiority. The life of interiority's end and goal is to live in awareness of his coming. This is what our parishes should be teaching us. This is what our priests should be teaching us. This is what husbands and wives should be teaching their children. To make them comfortable in the silence. To give them age-appropriate instruction on what to do in the silence regarding the reception of God's coming. The priest should be much taking us much deeper. Too many pastors are shy about taking their people to the depths of intimacy with Christ. Husbands and wives should be taking each other deeper. We should be about the business of awareness of His coming, of being able to read our interiority, the shifting moods, the shifting feelings, to discern the motion and the movement of the Holy Spirit as opposed to the spirit of evil. One thing Catholics should be, our experts are in, on interiority. There is a great agenda left there. 
not responded to by much of parochial life. But it has to be the next millennium's agenda because the Catholic culture in the Western world is perhaps completely dead. There are no external supports for our way of life. There are no signs and symbols that support us in the external world anymore. And the flimsy ones that remain, such as the crash fights every Christmas on public land, are slowly being taken from us. The meaning of marriage as a sacrament of God loving his earth his creation, destroyed. Even the birth of a new baby as hope is taken from us through legal abortion. There is no Catholic culture. And since there is no Catholic culture, it has to be built up again. But it can only be built up again out of the interiority of lay Catholics who are so strong in their faith that they know that they know because they have allowed the Lord to come close, to touch them, convert them, purify them, strengthen them, give them the spirit for articulation and move them from the heart to the culture. Perhaps there will be a day again when the culture supports the Ten Commandments, the Scriptures, the values of God. But that day is gone. And so the parishes must marshal all of their resources to bring the people to an interior life so that that interior life blossoms into lay martyrdom, lay witness. And since the culture is devoid of our values, many of the laity will suffer as they try to replant the truths of Jesus, the truths of what is moral, back into the cultural landscape. Without such interiority, the laity will fold and run, and the culture will continue to be devoid of witness. So spirituality is not some superficial understanding of piety or sentimentality. Spirituality is the absolute core of the parish life. And such a core must be given due attention. Or otherwise we will simply float with the times. We will simply be a part of this passing age. We will no longer be salt. We will no longer be light. We will simply be a part of the darkness. You've been listening to Communion with Christ, Practical Prayer with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app 
This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Communion with Christ, Practical Prayer with Deacon James Keating.